Uh, you're back here, Mining Stock Daily, and uh, it was time. It was time to get an update with our friend Justin Hewn from Uranium Insider. Uh, because, Justin, you know, it was there's a little bit of this kind of quiet period in the uranium sector for a while, but then all of a sudden, <laughs> within a couple, I don't know, maybe it was a day or hours, news just kind of went crazy this week in the uranium sector. So we got to chat a couple important news items here including the latest out of Uranium Energy Corp. But also we got to talk about uh, President of the United States, Biden. Uh, news headline is he's looking for $4.3 billion in uranium supply so they don't have to uh, be buying from Russia. Uh, I'm, I guess better late than never in that story. But, you know, that's, maybe we'll talk about this first because that really ignited the uh, the entire uranium equities market yesterday uh, or earlier this week. And, you know, give us a sense of kind of what you're reading and, and you know, what, what your sources are telling you. Sure. Yeah, it's, um, you know, that, that news, we were expecting news from the DOE uh, primarily because um, Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary, had mentioned probably about six weeks ago that within a few weeks, they would have a further plan um, with regards to supporting domestic nuclear industry. Um, in particular, they're concerned about enrichment, not only uh, LEU, which is low enriched uranium, which is what the reactors use, but also something called HALU, high assay, low enriched uranium, which is, it's still low enriched as in it's less than 20% enrichment, which is weapons grade, you know, 20% or higher is considered weapons grade, but advanced reactors and as well as the nuclear Navy use a, a higher enriched uranium. And so the the, the DOE and the Biden admin um, are, are looking for looking for something to bolster the domestic nuclear industry. And this is, this is really a long time coming. This first really was brought to light by Energy Fuels and UR Energy back in 2018 when they filed a Section 232 petition uh, with the Department of Defense. And that essentially was, um, basically the petition said, this is a national security threat for us to have 20% of the grid, 100% uh, reliant on foreign uranium. Uh, you know, at the at the time, you know, and still to this day, there's barely any uranium produced in the United States. There's a small amount of enrichment, the Uranco facility in New Mexico, uh, but there's no conversion until we have Converdine back online next year, uh, the Metropolis plant in Illinois that shut down in 2018. So this Section 232 petition was was filed in 2018 by uh, the management teams from UR Energy and Energy Fuels. They took a lot of flack from the utilities. And the investing space was uh, was very excited about the potential of this petition causing some sort of reaction in the government, and especially if it would have resulted in what they were requesting. And what they were requesting was for the government to essentially apply quotas to the U.S. nuclear utilities to force them to purchase 20% of their annual needs from domestic sources. and. At the time, and you know, still now, but uh, especially at the time, you know, the bulk of the uranium that, that comes into the state, the majority producer is Kazakhstan, and um, and this was even prior to Kazakhstan going uh, partially public. So they were still a state-owned entity, and with large Russia influence. So really, to kind of wrap that all up, they filed this petition. The market was hopeful that the government would. Uh, would say, yes, we're doing this. We're going to go ahead and quote uh, the U.S. utilities. Of course, the U.S. utilities have a very powerful lobby. 
and you know I'm sure that they were in President Trump's ear, and so he. He, uh, you know, took this petition. They they thought about it for a very long time, literally until the last day they were allowed to under the petition filing rules. And he basically came out and said, "Well, look, we're not gonna we're not gonna impose a quota on the U.S. utilities, but you make some interesting points, and this is a problem." And so what he did then was he started what he called the Nuclear Fuels Working Group, and this was a meeting of the minds within the federal government at the time to look further into this issue of, oh, 20% of our grid is 100% reliant on foreign sources of that fuel. So the Nuclear Fuel Working Group um, took its time. And this was, let's see, he, he, he started that, I believe it was July of 2019. And then they had 90 days to come up with a ruling. That got deferred and got deferred and got deferred. Uh, now we're into 2020. The Nuclear Fuel Working Group finally came out and said, um, we, we need to support enrichment, we need to support HALO, and we should do something uh, along the lines of a federal, uh, a, a federal stockpile of U-308 that would be purchased from domestic miners. So it's like, let's start as a federal government stockpiling uranium so that we have a backup emergency source, and we'll also buy directly from the miners in the States. Well, that all sounded great. I think they proposed originally was a 75 or 150 million. It really wasn't all that much. Now, that would be an annual budget. Um, you know, that would end up two, three million pounds a year coming from the domestic miners, which is more than they're producing now. But nothing ever happened. Then never got worked into an official budget. Um, fast forward, it's 2022 when that comes out, or excuse me, 2020 when that comes out. It's an election year. COVID's happening. The world is burning down. I think uh, President Trump and his cabinet had bigger fish to fry. And so it fell completely to the back burner. Now, uh, when everybody at the time is like, this is a problem, let's take care of it and support the domestic uranium industry because this is so vital to the grid. And they're like, yeah, that's never going to happen. We're, we're good. We're going to keep buying from Canada and Australia and Africa and especially Kazakhstan because they've never faltered. And that's true. I mean, they've been unbelievably reliable for a very long time. Well, fast forward to 2022, and now the government, for political reasons that are obvious at this point, want to stop buying anything that comes from you know, Russia or even goes through Russia. And they can't. They can't cut them off. And so now they're in this position where we have to do something in order to support this industry that's been decimated by cheap uranium coming from, let's call it the Eastern Bloc. Uh, so this is their proposal, and that news came out yesterday. And what it is is the DOE, the Biden admin and the DOE are asking for $4.3 in funding to be approved by Congress to support uh, domestic uh, enriched uranium. And so the details of this are not yet out, but uh, obviously there is an assumption that all elements of that fuel cycle would be domestic. So even though they want to support further capacity for enrichment, in addition to Urenco's uh, 4,700 SWU that they can produce annually, and let's see, it was 14,000-something SWU purchased last year in the United States. So this one facility that we do have produces about a third of the annual enrichment needs for the U.S. reactor fleet. So they, I, I don't, we don't know yet what that support is going to look like. They're just asking for the funding. So it'll probably be direct purchases by the government. Um, it'll probably be uh, fiscal support for expanding not only Converdine's Metropolis, which is supposed to come online next year, 
um, but also uh, potentially new enrichment facilities or expanding Ranko's facility. We really don't know those details, but really what happened was the market, sorry to really babble on about this, but I no, think No, no, go, keep going, you're good. I think the market was really just waiting for an excuse. Um, I think that there was a lot of, all the weak hands got flushed out late April, early May. And um, as the fundamentals continued to stack up in a positive manner, you, still, you just had this risk-off environment across markets that brought uranium down with it. So all the weak hands are gone. You have the contrarians starting to nibble on these stocks. We've been climbing a wall of worry on low volume for the last two weeks. You know, the sector's up 20% or something like that since the bottom. But there obviously was a decent amount of money on the sidelines just waiting for someone else to jump in first. And so this news came out, and that's my opinion, is that it's, it was just like, oh, well, here we go. We just need something to set this, set this sector on fire again. So yesterday we had just huge moves across the sector. You mentioned Uranium Energy Corp. They did the, the largest daily traded volume ever for that stock yesterday. I mean, I think it was up 15, 16% on the day, something like that. We had some stocks up over 20% on the day. Western Uranium was up 30%. Um, just huge, huge moves on this, on yeah. expectations that finally, maybe this is a lifeline for these U.S. miners that have been decimated over the last decade. So uh, follow-up things, a couple of say, uh, just programming note, we're airing this on Thursday, but recording on Wednesday. So when we say yesterday, we really mean Tuesday. Um, but so just for listeners to understand that, if you are at all confused on the on the timeline here, a uh, couple follow-ups that I had written down here, Justin, to get your thoughts on. Listen, we're talking $4.3 billion. This deal that Elon Musk is going to back out of on Twitter is $44 billion, so 11 times more <laughs> than what this is. So let's put things into hindsight. I mean, is I mean, obviously $4 billion is a pretty good chunk of change for a sector that has had really a lack of investment for a couple generations but what you know i mean it still is small potatoes here ain't it it you know it's 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 better than nothing let's say sure, i mean it's sure. it's still a decent chunk of money um we, we just still don't know exactly how it's going to be allocated so it's, it's difficult to answer that until we can see what the breakdown is it still has to pass congress as well so I, we expect that that will pass um being that this is a pretty bipartisan issue in terms of wanting to uh, do what is needed in order to not have to keep buying from Russia. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's complicated. The U.S. utilities are, are involved. They've been able to buy cheaply from, from Russian sources from Kazakhstan. They'll still should be able to buy from Kazakhstan, but that's also complicated due to shipping interruptions and in inability to have shipping insurance in certain waterways. Uh, Kazakhstan would ship, typically ship their uranium through the port of St. Petersburg in Russia. That's not really happening now. They're trying to ship it west through the Caspian and across North Africa. Uh, it's just it's just kind of a mess right now. So that's at least a gray area. But um, this is this is something that would at least maybe in the midterm because it's going to take some time. You know, it's going it's going to take some time to build a new enrichment facility or expand Urenco. Um, it's going to take some time. Obviously, Converdine is already in the works to bring Metropolis online next year. But if they want to expand uh, conversion, that's going to take time. And then the miners, you know, there's only a few miners that really can uh, start producing really quickly. Yeah. Um, so the actual miners that are producing right now, even if it's five or 10,000 pounds a year or something like that, they're, they're barely producing anything is energy fuels and uh, UR energy. 
Actually, I don't even know if UR Energy produced anything last year. I'd have to double check on that. If they did, it was minimal. But both of those facilities are basically, um, you know, uh, Energy Fields Lost Creek ISR and then um, uh, UR Energy's facilities as well. So they're, they're pretty uh, near dated in terms of being able to produce. All of the other companies that can produce in the United States, let's say in the next year to two years would be Cameco. Cameco has probably the best assets in the States. Um, UEC, they've got Texas and Wyoming facilities. They just acquired Uranium One stuff. Encore, they also have Texas facility that is uh, preparing to produce next year. Peninsula has some ISR stuff in Wyoming that they could get going. Um, beyond that, oh gosh, uh, Consolidated Uranium is a company recently that, that, that just came out of nowhere and they recently purchased assets from Energy Fuels. These are some hard rock mines in Utah, but they have a toll milling agreement they're expecting to actually start producing in 2023 as well. Hmm. So um, there's a number of smaller companies that uh, should be able to produce uranium and could potentially fulfill some government contracts. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know if the government is going to be buying directly or if this new enrichment conversion demand will have a knock-on effect for the U.S. miners. Either way, it's looking positive for U.S. miners. Um, but, you know, they're still going to have to compete on price. And uh, usually it's the ISR projects that, that do the best in terms of costs. It's, yeah, I wanted to follow up on obviously how much supply would be coming online because it seems like that $4.3 billion would do, would, it, it would consume a substantial chunk of United States production because it doesn't seem like it's all that much. And then on top of that, I get in the back of my mind is like, okay, so how does the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust kind of fit into all this. Now they can go obviously find the uranium, uranium I think, wherever they can find it on the market. Um, but also, I just think the implications on the Sprott price between Sput and if this deal gets approved by Congress uh, could have some serious lifts, lift on the spot price of uranium when it's all said and done. Yeah, it really could. Um, th there's, gosh, there's just, I mean, really, it's just one more thing. <laughs> it's one more thing to add to add to this mix uh, in terms of uh, one more hand grabbing into the into the bucket here. So, um, you know, Sprott, like you said, they'll just buy uranium kind of from whomever, from wherever, right? The, their, their main thing is that they want to buy it from, uh, they want it delivered in relatively short order, or they want it um, not delivered, but they want it to be, to them to be able to change hands at the facility that the uranium is sitting at or in route to in relatively short order. So less than 12 months qualifies as a spot, mar as a spot market purchase. But uh, so far, since they've been buying uranium, since last August, they've demanded 90 days or less delivery or settlement, 90 days or less settlement. And they've been able to do that with uh, the amount of uranium that they purchased so far. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, the carry traders unwinding. But um, so the fact that we have yet another potential buyer that's potentially the U.S. government is just one more reason, really, for any utilities that are uncovered um, in the midterm to act sooner. And it just tightens the it tightens the supply situation even further. So it's. It, it, it's just one more thing. I mean, the only thing that's buffering this market from absolutely exploding is the fact that you, that the utilities have to have some inventory on hand. Mm -hmm. And so we believe that a lot of the utilities who are uncovered, 
out towards the end of the decade are right now just kind of like, okay, we've got this war, you know, that's not going to go on forever. Uh, spot, you know, maybe the financial flows don't come in and, and keep driving it like we saw over the last nine months. You know, there's a lot of utilities, in my opinion, that seem to be sitting on the sidelines, just kind of waiting to see if this is going to settle back to potentially lower prices. Um, who, I mean, who really knows? We, I mean, we don't believe that's the case. We think that's a naive outlook um, based on all of the factors that we've discussed ad nauseum over the last, you know, five interviews that we've done. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it does seem like, yeah, that it's just one more thing, one more, one more element of demand to add into the picture that, here. You had mentioned Section 232, and I was like, oh, man, I think you and I were talking about that two or three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the other news item, and you know, we should probably mention, obviously, it, you mentioned it quickly, was the Ener- Uranium Energy Corp news. Um, they have acquired more projects uh, from Anfield. This is the Uranium One acquisition. I mean, it, it, there was a lot to this deal. What sticks out in my mind here is obviously Uranium Energy is the largest ISR uranium portfolio in the U.S. now. They have over $180 million in cash and liquid assets right now, Justin. I mean, this is getting huge and I, you know, what's the end game here? I guess that's my question with Uranium Energy Corp. What is the end game? Do you, what do you do with all this money? You know, they they tend to operate in a, in a almost like a large cap. Um, they they have an ATM, so they can issue shares at will uh, to raise cash. So they seemingly always have a decent cash balance. They came under fire a lot during the bear market due to pretty outrageous salaries and gna expenses when when the money was not flowing into the sector you know they were still still printing on the atm and 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 paying themselves handsomely and so that turned off a lot of people in the bear market but rolling into what is now a bull market they've got cash and they've got the ability to execute because of that cash and so and because of their market cap you know their shares are valuable so you know they've recently been able to acquire the assets the uranium assets from uranium one those were purchased from Energy Metals in 2007 for one point, God, I'm forgetting the exact number, 1.3, 1.4 billion. And those assets, they just sold back to UEC and UEC paid pennies on the dollar for that. So that was a brilliant acquisition. And now they've got some uh, pretty decent assets in Wyoming in their Texas stuff. So they're set up pretty nicely to to be a near-term producer in the States. And that that cash, while it's been, you know, the, the the creation of that cash balance has been dilutive to shareholders. The fact that they utilized it for such a, a valuable transaction at what seems to be a relatively low price, I wouldn't really even call that dilutive. So uh, they've they've done a pretty darn good job, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What else and, do we? And the Anfield assets that was that was well good as well. Just added to their stuff in Wyoming, and Anfield needed, you know, they needed to get out of their debt position. Yeah. What else do we need to be paying attention to? What's next? What's next, Justin? <laughs> oh, I think I think one of the biggest stories right now is the Japanese restarts. Mm. Um, the, the new prime minister, Kishida, he's all in on restarting uh, nuclear basically as quickly as possible while doing it safely. You know, they always have to have the safety caveat for, for obvious reasons. Um, but they, you know, their, their low carbon goals, let's say, are to have 20 to 22% of their generation coming from nuclear by 2030, which would require more than 20 more reactors restarted. So we just just saw an announcement of another one uh, that got the approval from the governor 
um, of that prefecture, the Chimane or Shimani, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, prefecture. That should be coming online next year. That'll be number 11 as far as restarts go. And, um, and there's 14, I think, under the process of restarting in some various stage of approval process. So the fact that they are thinking very seriously about doing this, I mean, it makes perfectly good sense. They, they have a full reactor fleet that's just sitting idle. I think there's only been 14 or 15 of their 54 reactors that have been permanently shut down. So the rest technically could be restarted. We know that there's still a decent amount of inventory being held by the Japanese. They sold a decent amount. You know, the the utilities that had reactors permanently decommissioned were sitting on inventory that they sold in the markets. But the fact that they could come back online and have some inventory is fantastic for them in terms of their own national security, their energy security. You know, they're they're not a resource-rich nation. They import everything they need when it comes to energy. You know, and they've had to expand natural gas and coal power. It hasn't been good for, um, for for the air quality in Japan. So it makes a lot of sense on so many levels. And this is, you know, Rick Rule is kind of famous for multiple years ago, just always saying, you know, when the Japanese finally restart more reactors and when we really see this bull market start. And for the longest time, I was like, no, you know, I don't really agree with that. You know, it's not needed at this point because we're already past pre-Fukushima levels of demand nuclear globally so that's really not needed but interestingly enough japanese accelerated restarts are now coinciding with you know the earlier innings of this bull market so in in some ways i guess you could say he was right all along but that's exciting development for sure it's just a fascinating transition of sentiment when it comes to the japanese energy infrastructure here i mean it it, it, you know, the timing is obviously interesting. I'm wondering if it took an energy crunch and, and skyrocketing oil and gas prices to really kind of lift the mood of getting back to nuclear energy in Japan. You know, they could have done this years ago, but I guess it takes a little bit of a crisis to, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel type of scenario. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, a lot of people don't start working on their own health until they have a health problem come. <laughs> right. You know, right. It's, you know, it's one of those things that now that they're paying, who knows what, I, I don't know off the top of my head how much they're paying for natural gas, but I assume that it's doubled in the past 12 months. Um, coal has gone up hugely, oil, obviously. So, yeah, and the fact that they're just sitting on this fleet just waiting to be restarted, it's like, it yeah. makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. All right, Justin, it's good to have you back on the show. Thanks for that rundown. There's a lot going on, and uh, the fun's not over. I think it's going to be a very interesting summer here in the uranium space. Indeed. Yeah, thanks for having me again. That's Justin Hewn from Uranium Insider. Uh, if you haven't already, please go check out his website. Uh, maybe inquire about a subscription to the newsletter, uraniuminsider.com. That's it for this episode of Mining Stock Daily. Watch the uranium space, everybody. We'll be back here in a little bit. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.